This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, created to help you live a life less intoxicated, whether that's for a night, a week, a month, or a lifetime. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Sober Rebel podcast with me, Louisa Evans, the show that demonstrates that sober is most definitely not boring. Each episode, I talk to my amazing sober guests about the ways in which their lives have improved and changed for the better in sobriety. So whether you're sober curious, in the early stages of sobriety, or even further down the line and wanting a bit of inspiration and entertainment from some amazing people, then stick around. And today I've got an amazing guest for you. This is a lady who's inspired me for the last 12 months. And she's inspired so many with her journey into sobriety, but also with the many things she's tried since going sober. So Lucy, hi, thank you so much for joining me today. You were one of the first sober accounts I followed. How are you doing? Good. I'm really good. I'm really excited to talk to you. You know, as you've just said that you were following me, I've been following you for ages. So it's it's just really nice to meet you in person. I feel like I should already know you. But yeah, really excited to talk to you. So just tell the listeners, just to begin with, a little bit about you and about your sober journey. Okay. And it has been a journey. Yeah. So back in October 21, I decided to do a one year no beer challenge. Up to that point, I was just a crazy drinker. I didn't have the sort of rock bottom that everyone talks about or anything like that. But I was completely indoctrinated into the world of drink. It started at university. I was in the 90s. I was like a Spice Girls kind of, you know, rebellious, ladder thing. And it was just, you know, get as drunk as you can, as quick as you can. And that was the whole point of the night out. Did that for so many years. Then that just sort of carried on. I've got a really corporate, I'm a finance director, really corporate lifestyle where the done thing is to go out after work. And that's how you make relationships. That's how business is done. As as much as it's awful, now I look at it, it's how it's done. So that was my entire life. And then it crept into more, maybe sinister, maybe sinister is the word, territory, where for the last sort of 10 years, I thought it was okay and normal to come in from work, open a bottle of red wine. And between 5pm and 11pm, I would get to one and a half, two bottles of wine, no problem. Yeah. Um, every night for years, more at weekends, if it was partying or Hindus or whatever it was, just crazy. And then I'd get up, fun- I think it's the most dangerous kind of functioning, get up, function, do a good job at work and think it's normal. Everybody's doing it. Everyone's doing it and everyone's just, what I now know is existing, but you you sort of muddled through, thought this was the norm. You took the highs, you took the lows and that was okay. And then I just got so like mentally and physically tired with it. And I decided to do the one year no beer challenge because it's the only way I could mentally cope with it. I couldn't cope with you giving up or this concept of that's my life over. And, you know, I thought I'll do one year. That's how I'm here. It started with a year in October 21. And I am in places that I never thought I would be. So we can cover all that in this, but it's just been an unexpected and unplanned journey is what I would say. Oh, your drinking is so similar to mine. Is it? Yeah, I did exactly the same thing. I was in the film industry. So you do a film shoot, you go home after a film shoot. The the thing you do is you unwind, you have a glass of wine. And I did that between five and 11 o'clock. I would sort of have a couple of beers and then have a bottle of wine. Um, or a bottle of Prosecco because that, yeah, that makes it sound more more glamorous. 
yeah, yeah. Do you know it's interesting? I think since I've started this, I've met so many people. And actually, I feel like we're in the minority. It took me a while to meet someone that had the same. Most people I met early on were binge drinkers. So they would drink, start on a Thursday night, drink through till Sunday, and then not drink for a week. And I found them really hard to resonate with because I thought, wow, that's a major achievement. If you can get between Monday and Thursday and not drinking, you're way ahead of me. Yeah. Um, So I could never quite understand what their problem was. (laughs) (laughs) If you can only do it on weekends, you're fine. That was like the holy grail for us, wasn't it? Yeah. You sort of realise, don't you, that none of it works for anybody in whatever guise it comes in. And you sort of cling on to what you think is a normal drinker and what's not a normal drinker. I was always really keen to point out that my drinking was in the evening and not the day because my two bottles of wine were at a totally acceptable time. Between five and ten is fine. I didn't think about it between nine and five. So therefore, there was obviously no problem at all. It's weird, isn't it, how you justify what you did? And you're really fit, aren't you? Because I mean, I, I've obviously I've stalked you on Instagram for a while now. Sober yeah, stalked yeah. you. I really have, actually. I'm going to shock you with my knowledge. You are well into your fitness and going to the gym. So were you going to the gym and working out and then that was your, I don't know, reward at the end of the day? Was that what you were telling yourself? Was it my reward? I can't think what way round it was. It was uh, more that it allowed me to do it. I've always been, and I'm not ashamed of this at all, I have an aesthetic goal. I I like to be fit and I like to be healthy and I've always played sport, but I also want to look as well as I can. That's why I do all the exercise I do. And and now I know I get the endorphins and all the good stuff. But at the time, I thought it earned me drinking points. So I would think, well, I don't want to be one of those people that just like piles the pounds on and looks like an overweight, unhealthy drinking person. I, I used to say drunk. I never say that anymore. It's, you know, the phrases that you used to use that you think yeah. is too now unacceptable. I didn't want to be that, but I thought because I was this sort of reasonably, and I know now that I wasn't, healthy gym bunny, and then I'd go and then immediately I would meet in the pub. So I would go to the gym after work, then go and meet in the pub and drink my two bottles of wine. I somehow thought that's fine. It was totally counterintuitive when I come to think about it, but at the time I must have been killing my heart. If you think about the dangers that was probably putting on my body to work out in the gym. I got a personal trainer and I used to turn up to my personal training, like hungover. Mm. Um, You know, I could barely speak to him because I was so hungover, but I was so determined to get through that session. I mean, just grim, like really, really grim. But but to the outside world, you know, really good in career really good in the gym, really good at sport. And actually it was just all being sort of desperately held together. It is such a mask. I mean, I was the mum running two businesses, the therapist, the filmmaker, doing the marketing, doing everything else. And yeah, coming home and, and finishing therapy sessions and coming home and pouring myself a glass of wine. Yes. Isn't that crazy? How did that sit with you? How did that feel? It didn't feel very good. I have to say it was probably one of my big motivators was the fact that people were coming in and saying, come on, Louisa, I want to look at my drinking. And I was like, okay, as long as you don't ask me to look at mine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Deep down, don't you? You know, when it's not, not right. Yeah. And I think I'd known for a number of years. So how long did you feel that it was wrong then for you? Do you know, not long at all. It escalated, I think, quite fast in the scheme of things. I think that I badged the one year no beer thing 
to enable it to be okay, to make it sound like a bit of fun. I'm just challenging myself to make sure. And I used to jokingly say, just to make sure I I can do it, because I don't know if I can. And when I look back, I think it was some sort of survival mechanism must have kicked in and said to me, it might be a challenge, but you know you need to do this challenge. You need it. And however you badge it as a fun challenge, it's necessary. So I didn't think about it. I honestly never thought. I mean, I had the typical every morning waking up saying, oh, I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not. I can't. I'm going to have a week off. Or I started bartering with myself around, well, I'm not going to drink till Thursday. Or I'm not going to drink to this event. And it never, it never got that far. I never managed to make it ever. And I laughed yeah. it off. So it wasn't something that I battled with for a long time. It was this sudden realisation, which I feel so grateful that there's something in my psyche that went, come on, this is not how you want to live the rest of your life. And it could get worse. It wasn't even during a hangover. It was an evening where I just felt like, I was like, I'm done. I'm actually done. And by that point, I'd had so much to drink in that evening. And I was, you know, in the days when you used to say, you drank yourself sober some nights and you just, oh, yeah. you were just saturated and it just wasn't going anywhere the evening. And I literally just, my brain just went, I'm done. And I signed up before the hangover had even kicked in. I signed up and I paid £250 for the one year no beer and woke up the next morning with sort of the realisation of what I've signed up to, but still resolute that, that that was the right thing to do. But yeah, overnight almost. I remember watching a live with you as you were approaching your year anniversary. And I think I was in my early days really struggling. I remember I was I was watching this live in the kitchen and I was battling the wine witch whilst listening to you. You were helping me. <laughs> oh, amazing. I know. I know. It's like, no, she can do it. I can do it. Come on. Um, yeah. But in my head, I'd sort of told myself, well, you weren't like me, but you were. I was completely like you. And this is, I think it's really important to almost find, because there's lots of stuff out there, isn't there? There's lots of stuff. And everyone has got different drinking patterns, different things that were problematic for them and not for somebody else. It's quite hard to think, well, how can I use their experience to help me? But when you do find the people that you think that was exactly the same as me and they are where they are, you think it's totally doable. If they can do it and they've got the same lifestyle and the same challenge as I have, it's doable, but you've just got to actively search out for those people. It makes me so happy when people say to me, I heard that live or I read that Instagram post. And you think it's absolutely phenomenal. People slag off social media so much. And yet with something like this, you can say something because you're having a day when you're struggling with something or you found something that helps you and you write it down. And the next thing you've got hundreds of messages saying, that resonated and that's helped me. It just makes me feel it's all worthwhile, isn't it? I know. I didn't, well, put it this way. I wasn't even going to put my face on mine when I first started. In fact, I don't I think I did. Look at me now. You can't get me off it. You're the face of sobriety. It's amazing. <laughs> Do you still laugh at that? You know, when um, I have people that I'm in their phone as sober Lucy and it just cracks me up. <laughs> I think, how the hell have I got to this point where I'm known as someone who could have the word sober in the same sentence? I wouldn't even think it would be in the same paragraph or book as me. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to be either. I would no. have thought, well, that's a bit boring. What's this person got in their life if, if they can't go out for a drink? Um, yes. I know people would say to me, well, what do you do of an evening? What do you do? And yeah. I must admit, I would have been exactly the same. I mean, what do you do if you're not drinking alcohol? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I watch films and remember them is what I do now. 
I still love the pub, by the way. I still love yeah. going to the pub. I have a cup of tea sometimes, which is really enjoyable. Um, but I um I look around and I just think, oh my gosh, like this is a room full of people who willingly walk in to drink a horrible toxic substance that's going to make them feel really ill and they're doing it with like utter joy I mean don't get me wrong I'm making it sound like my brain is completely and it isn't and we'll talk through that it's not completely there but Mm. my common sense and my everything I've learned tells me that that's what I'm witnessing in a pub yeah Um, Yeah. and it just blows my mind a bit I remember looking back at one of your early posts because you know when you find a sober account that connects with you what you always do is you always go back to the point that they were where you are yes exactly yeah <laughs> and go well what were you like on day nine or whatever yeah. it was and I think it was yeah. about day nine for you and I remember it was very similar very early days for me and I was looking at your post and you were saying well I'm bored what well, this is going to be a boring year then isn't it yeah it's going to be crap I thought it's going to be the crappiest most boring lifestyle I thought sit tight do the year you're going to hate it there's going to be nothing to look forward to, but you've just got to soldier on. Yeah, it was boredom, real boredom. It was the fear of boredom for me, and it became apparent you know, by day nine. I was thinking, this is awful. There's Why just have I done this? Other. Yeah, there's nothing to look forward to. I'm either going to fail or have a year of boredom. It's Yeah, you're right. It was exactly that point when it dawned on me. <laughs> What have I done? What have I done? Yeah, why but you didn't I doing... doubt it. You carried on. You stuck at it. You pushed through that boredom, which yeah. I'm sure we're going to talk about. It wasn't very long lived at all. No, no. That brings us quite neatly onto the three things that you have noticed. So the first thing that you've noticed in sobriety that you didn't experience as a drinker. Three things is really difficult to think of. But... I know, that's why I do it. Yeah, I know it's sort of thinking, oh, I can't pin it down to three. But my social life and friendship group has just exploded. And I think it's really important that anyone embarking on this, well, this is what worked for me anyway, is you can't go in half-heartedly and assume it's going to be awful. And I saw it like a project and I thought, right, okay, so if I don't want to be bored, I'm going to have to go out and find something else to to relieve the boredom and take up the time. And as much as you want to just think, I'm going to become a hermit, I'm going to read lots of books and I'm going to watch films and that's all there is to do, because you're going to feel lonely. It's lonely anyway when you suddenly take away the only thing that you know that helps you to socialise. So, yeah, I immediately started scrolling on Instagram and thinking, okay, and you type in, sober and you get this whole world of people that you think where did they come from like I assume that if you were sober it's because you were really really boring um, and you just never liked it or you had a major problem so it swung between those two groups of people and then suddenly there's all these people appeared living near me in this community I mean at this time actually it's grown a lot since October 21 There was a particular group called the Sober Butterflies that I thought they look like really fun people. I can't work them out, but they're always out doing things. They're hiking or they're doing something adrenaline rush that I was craving. I just went against all my grain and I just contacted them and said, I want to join one of your meetups. And that was just the start of what I've now got. Amazing friends, like real, real friends who all are on this similar kind of, they want to find something else in their life that's not drinking. They're definitely not boring because, I mean, you'll know this, people who've stopped drinking have done it for a reason. It's normally because they've got no off switch. 
They're a party animal at heart. They do suffer from boredom. You'll agree. I love to think this, obviously, because it's me. Because I feel like we've seen we've seen through it. We know that there's something better out there. And we've also got the strength and determination to keep trying for it, which I've got a lot of respect for these people that are now my friends. And I think, because I know how hard it is, because it isn't easy. You know, we're sitting here with smiles on our faces saying it's wonderful, but it's bloody hard. And mm. so, yeah, I've got this group of friends now who, when people say a tribe, it sounds cheesy, but they do feel like a tribe. Yeah. And you can message them when you're bored, which was my, the reason I, I drank was because I was bored. It wasn't any kind of trauma or anything weird happening in my life, or I wasn't blanking out anything un- unhealthy or unhappy. I've got a perfectly happy life boredom I like wild party whatever so when I'm bored I message them and I say do you want to do something and they'll go and they'll pile in you know how about we try this moon ceremony or it'll be something (laughs) ridiculously that wouldn't have been on my radar before and we just rock up we go to the gong baths we've been cold water swimming we've done gorge scrambling we've climbed mountains and they give you the alternative that's going to distract you And while you're doing these activities, you all offload with all the challenges you're facing. And I'm now every weekend until, well, this time next year, pretty much, has got a new activity in. So anyone who thinks that giving up drinking will result in staying at home and not doing things. I mean, you need to experience it yourself. You can't be told. But if you're willing to throw yourself in and you're willing to reach out and try, it will open a whole new world. And you'll meet people you never met it's the most amazing experience I I feel lucky I drank if I hadn't given it up and then thrown myself into something else I would never know how good this feels Um, it's strange isn't it I totally agree with you part of me is grateful that it was as bad as it was yeah because if it was just moderate and I could take or leave it then I'd never experience life without alcohol and it's robbing you constantly of that dopamine so that it's putting you in deficit And then you're not finding joy in everyday things. And that's what I struggled with is that I would sort of look around and I never stop thinking. So I drank through boredom and I drank to switch my mind off of an evening. So yeah, the evening drinking, I'd never drank before five o'clock. I treated it as a project as well. I was like, right, I've got to create now for myself a sober identity that I cannot turn around and go, oh, I've had a drink. To start with, that was sober Instagram. And then it was like, right, why don't I write a book? Why don't I start a podcast? You must be so proud of that. You must be. I mean, a lot. I I thought, oh, people are going to roll their eyes at this. You know, you've been sober five minutes. You're writing a book. So I did it very much about the therapy side and the mindset and everything else. Yeah. And about early sobriety, because I think once you get about six months, even nine months down the line, you forget. You forget what those early days were like, that boredom, that constant need to keep on your guard. Yeah, and you look back, I look back at the early days and I I, I describe, I, I was very, I wasn't physically, but I felt, I must have been very shaky and wobbly with knowing what, you know, I didn't really know what it meant. All I knew was that it was taking something away. Mm. That was it. It was just something was being taken away. I didn't know there was anything on Instagram. I didn't know what Quitlet was. I've never heard of Quitlet. You saw, when you start reading all those books, I mean, I just immersed myself. I listened to Audible, so I used to have it in my car. I used to have it when I was on my sun lounge on holiday listening. You know, obviously, William Porter was like the one for me that really struck a chord. 
And um, I think you were the one who introduced me to him through your Instagram. Oh, really? Did I? Which I was. I mean, when I, I read that book, oh, it was like pennies were dropping all over the place. Every emotion or every feeling or sensation that you got from the alcohol, everything that you try and combat an argument, there's a page in there that explains why you know, why are you going to want this one and why it's not true and why it's a myth? Yeah, that book for me was just a game changer. I don't know whether you saw, but I met him. I did. I was, honestly, I was at this camping thing, this sober camping thing. I hate camping, but this was amazing. And I went on this sober camping thing and he was there and he walked in and I was like a starstruck teenager. I was wittering on for about an hour to everyone around me going, I'm going to talk to him. I need a selfie with William Porter that will make my life. And in the end, I did manage to sort of string a sentence together, sort of stuttering, because I felt like I was in the presence of, of sort of royalty. And then I said to him, and it felt so pathetic saying it, because I imagine he hears it probably, I don't know how many times a day. You changed my life. Like you are yeah. responsible for me succeeding in this, because every time I falter or think about it, I will listen to your book again. So I listened to his book all the way back from the Lake District today, again, just because you keep hearing snippets and new things. There are people who either went quiet or scoffed at me at the beginning that randomly something will pop up in my messages and it'll be, I've been watching you. I think I might give it a go myself and I think I need to do it. And you've inspired me to do it. And it's the most unlikely people, like we were the most unlikely people. Yeah, exactly. And I think I encourage people to try a 30-day stint. 30-day stint and 90-day stint. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite funny, actually, because my husband, I I didn't expect him to go sober with me. So impressed that he has. So am I. Oh, it's made my life so much easier. One of the things he did was the one year no beer. And I know we're mentioning a lot of things here. I'll put all the links in the show notes to the various organizations and William's book and everything else. Yeah. One year no beer was the badge that he used. And I messaged you in the January or or just before actually and said, what do you think of one year no beer? How did that help you? And you said it gave you a a sort of a a challenge. It it gave you a label. It gave you something you could talk to people about without going, I think I've got a problem. Yeah. And, you know, people accept that people, especially in corporate world, because they're all quite competitive individuals. And if you say I'm doing a one year challenge, they go, oh, amazing. I could never do that. And that's the end of it. They move on. And it's fine. It's much easier than saying I don't drink. It's much easier to say doing a challenge. And it's easier personally as well to say I'm just doing a challenge. It's not forever. It's interesting what you just said, actually, about the 30 days. So. For me, I don't think I really saw or believed the benefits until four months. I could obviously, there were there, the benefits. One of the things that I think I would always say to people to succeed now is you've got to create new habits. I believe in switching out a bad one for a good one. To me, it was going to the gym every evening, eight till nine, go to the gym. And I started going on the running machine. I hated it. I hated it. Hate running, hate it. But I started off sort of walking and listening to a podcast. And I just used to people watch while walking and listening to a podcast. And it got to the point after maybe five or six weeks of this that I thought, I'm really enjoying this. This is my hour now. But it took the repetitive nature and I did start to lose weight and I started to look better. 
And then after sort of six weeks, I thought I might break into a jog. <laughs> you know, the last the last half kilometre that I'd break into a jog. And before I know it, I'm doing a 10-mile road race because the habit was not enjoyable at first, but I was just trying to distract myself. And then as it became more easy, I started to really enjoy it. Then I started to get the changes to my figure. And then I really enjoyed it. So I think you've got to give it time to create new routine. And it might be stuff at the beginning that you don't enjoy. And now, part of the reason that I don't want to drink, and we'll come on to that, because I think it's really important that you don't want to, that you're not just saying, I'm cutting it out, is because all these things have become more precious to me. So early mornings and being able to exercise in the evening and lying on my bed with no alcohol swilling around my system, will never get old. It's almost like joyous to lie in bed without alcohol in your system. So I think I needed time to realise my new routine and what's important to me. And until I realised how important those getting up in the morning, going for a walk and there's no one around and feeling fresh and all of that, I don't think I'd have said it was enough the the 30 days. um, Really dispel the old what I did think I enjoyed. And I'm not willing to have a hangover anymore and waste a day. Knowing that I've got more joy in that than I have the big pissed up night out is enough. But that's taken me a long time to get to the point where I know what's important to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I agree. I was, I woke up this morning and I was, I'm going to go to the gym and me and my daughter went to the gym together because she's just got membership. It was just lovely. And I just thought, do you know what? Yeah, I probably would have done this. If I was drinking the night before, I, I was never a drinker that that made myself ill. Yeah. But I would have battled through, like you say, personal training session and you're battling through the whole, oh, I feel like rubbish and trying to, do you remember those, um, I think, I don't know if it was footballers' wives or something on the television years and years ago, where they yeah. used to sweat it out the next morning yeah. if the lads had been on like a big binge. You talk about your heart. Can you imagine what their heart was going through? completely and you think it's sad I used to think it was funny but it's not I'm a netballer and we used to go on big netball tournaments and there was one particular tournament I was probably in my early 30s actually we went to Blackpool on a tournament and we all went out and then we played this tournament the next morning and we thought that it was really funny that we had a big bucket at the side of the court which actually said sick bucket on and we would play the netball game and one by one go off and vomit in this thing to a to what was a big round of applause. I'm not, I am not judging that at all because at the no. time that was hilarious. And that's what we did. And, and we still talk about it and we talk about that trip fondly. But I do think, gosh, the intense pressure on that body that morning to get up, do that, be sick, play a you know a few competitive games then get on a bus home you just think gosh I just wish it had never existed I wish it was never in our society at all but that's the where I came from and that's what I thought was fun and now I just the thought of that now it literally I'm partly ashamed and partly think at least I can look back on it objectively yeah I was that person (laughs) but you know you were the party animal you know and you still are you're just the sober party animal now exactly as we all are basically right people that are sober like like you say we loved a good time and now we're just sober and a really good crack and so we remember everything we're sharper with our wit and our humor we can actually banter back and forth with intelligence rather than 
Like yeah. I probably did at the end of some night, slurring and repeating myself and falling asleep. One of the things that I read was that not drinking is a superpower. And obviously, at that point, you think, oh, that's a bit naff. And I sort of rolled my eyes at that. And then I thought about it. And I thought, I don't know if you've ever seen the sort of vampire kind of movies, like Twilight yeah. and things like that. And when she becomes a vampire, she's got this like amazing vision and sight and strength. I think it is a bit like a superpower because you've got all this sort of capability and motivation and clear vision and clear thinking that does give you an advantage. We have this clarity and you go into sort of meetings at work feeling motivated, you think, I'm going to smash through this day, I'm going to tick everything off my list and I'm motivated to do it, as opposed to the old days, which was, I'm going to get through this day and I will do all this, but it's going to be tough, it's going to be hard work and it'll be fine because I'll get back to five o'clock and I'll be able to have my glass of wine and relax. Yeah. Um, So it does feel like a superpower to me. I ended my year and then thought I'm going to go back to drinking. I didn't want to, but I thought I'll give it a go. And I hated it, by the way. I hated it. Um, But I have dabbled a few times, almost just to show myself why I'm doing it. When I say a few times, we're talking maybe four in the last year. And each one of those, by the way, has been one glass. It's made me think, oh, do you know what? I don't actually like that. I don't know why I felt the need to order it. And that's obviously ruined the streak. It's not a streak anymore. So suddenly I'm this sort of, I saw myself immediately as this failure. And then I thought, hang on a minute. I've gone from two bottles in an evening and more at weekend to ordering a glass of wine in a pub and not finishing the other half of it because I know that I don't want it. And I've just done it out of habit, maybe. And suddenly that's sort of failure, but that actually helped me. So for me, the only method, the way of succeeding is to learn so much to get to the point where I'm totally indifferent to it. I don't want to be teetotal. I want to be completely indifferent. Yeah. And that to me is the ultimate goal. I think I'm probably 95% of the way there to being completely indifferent. That's where I will continue to strive for. It's where I'd actually recoil at the thought of going out and drinking. Now I'm just like, I don't want to. But it's it's this idea that there's no one way to do something. There's no right way, no wrong way. And I still count my sober days and my sober streak. Yes. Because my yes. sober streak, and when I first started, and you must have just hit your first year, the month that I started, Um, Yes, I would have done. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, oh, it was tough. Those first few months for me, I was on and off. I read your posts. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. I can't even look back at those posts, but I'm not deleting them because I want people to see the reality of what it was like, because they can look at me now and think I'm a nutter wandering around, absolutely bouncing around full of the joys of sobriety. And it wasn't always like that. And I think for me, my journey helped me because it was tough. It helps you to see people struggling and then succeeding or struggling, failing, then succeeding. Whatever it is, you've got to feel that they understand how difficult it is. I say it's the best thing I've ever done. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah, you're right. You retrain every cell in your body to learn to enjoy things again, like you said earlier. And that sounds so sad. But that is exactly how it is. You've got to retrain yourself to socialise. One of the things that we used to do as a family, every couple of months we'd go to Alton Towers. Kids would think it was the best thing ever and we'd stay over. Now, me and my husband both know the reason we stayed over 
is because there's a pub in the middle of Alton Towers. So we used to go and have our lunch in the pub. And then we would stay over paying £400 to stay in the Alton Towers Hotel and then feel awful the next morning. But because you've stayed, you get a whole new day in the, in the park, which was just a nightmare for us. But the kids thought this was amazing. And we would do this repeatedly. And my kids used to say to me, oh, gosh, you know, you're so much fun. You go on Oblivion and all of these big rides. And I know that's because I've had a bottle of rosé in the pub at lunchtime in Alton Towers. And now it's quite difficult to get me on uh, any of the rides. (laughs) And I look back on that and I think, I thought I couldn't enjoy Alton Towers without a bottle of wine. How sad is that? And just sort of put the sort of icing on that story. About a month ago, we did go to Alton Towers and I went on Oblivion. And it was, to me, it was like this major achievement that I did it, but in a completely different way to how I used to do it. And what was even more interesting is while I was in the queue for Oblivion, I got a tap on the shoulder from this woman who said, I recognise you. Are you in like a sober group? Are you a sober butterfly? And I went, yeah. And she said, I follow you on Instagram. And we're in the queue to Oblivion. And I said, well, look, we're trying to find our dopamine here, aren't we? That's what we do now. We go and throw ourselves off large roller coasters. But the whole thing just, it was like full circle for me that moment. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, that is brilliant. But yeah, it's, it just sort of shows that you can enjoy those things again. It's just going to take time. And you have to look for joy in each moment, don't you? Yeah. You would never have noticed anything in nature before. No. If you went on a picnic in the park, it was to drink. Yeah, Um, not bothered about anything other than what's in the glass, basically. Whereas now you're sort of looking around, taking things in, enjoying the moment. And that's not something that's going to happen overnight, is it? Yeah, Yeah, you do have to retrain your brain. And holidays, when it comes to holidays for you... And that was a trigger point for you, wasn't it, at one point? And you've just done your first sober holiday. Well, no, I've done a few sober holidays. This is the first all-inclusive one that I've I've mastered. But, yeah, because I was always scared of flying. I just didn't see an airport as straight to the bar. That's what I've always seen. I would always have a bottle of red before I got on a plane. And then on the plane, I would have had sort of three or four more drinks. And then by the time I land, I'm basically a mixture of drunk and hungover and straight to the bar in the all-inclusive so it's been a big thing for me to really realize that you can enjoy a holiday without it I always thought well it's a waste of money if I'm going and I'm not drinking this time was amazing because I got up early every morning I went to the gym in the hotel I went off for walks by myself because my husband still drinks was in the sea with the kids I just saw it in a different way and I've come to love sleep I really love bedtime so like nine o'clock I would be in the bar with my mint tea and then I'll go to bed at half nine feeling yeah. like this is just sleep is so good so good I now value sleep and and so I sort of built the holiday up with all the things I value first and then all of those would go if I had a few glasses of wine or whatever that would be gone and it would be gone for and I know this because I did a holiday and drank on it and nearly died I think I had two or three glasses of wine my heart was doing palpitations I couldn't function two glasses of red wine compared to the old days I couldn't function I couldn't sleep I felt awful for days I thought I've ruined my holiday and that was after I'd come out of my year and I thought I'll just go back it was absolutely horrific and I thought I was dying because it shows you're not built up for it anymore either Mm. and you feel like you've poisoned yourself that's the words I use I said I feel like I've poisoned myself by trying this again I never want to feel like that again no holidays are a big one I think they're a big hurdle for a lot of people 
Um, Particularly all inclusive holidays as well, because you hear a lot of people thinking that that thought that oh, it's you're paying for it, yeah. So the holidays, I think, are similarly to weekends. In the old days, holidays were there to get hammered, and weekends were there to get hammered. And if you take a step back and think, those are the only times when you should be enjoying yourself, and they're the only times when you're off work and you you haven't got to think about that. And yet, what do you do on night one of the weekend, Friday? you get so drunk that your whole weekend is basically a world of pain unless you go back to the pub and drink again. And then you do the same in a holiday. So the only time that is truly yours that you should be enjoying, you immediately ruin yeah. by drinking on night one. Because most of the time on a holiday, you drink the night before, don't you? You finish work and you're like, well, I'm in holiday mode. And you drink the night before. So by the time you even get to the airport, you're hungover. And the only way to deal with that traveling is then to go to the bar. You're ruining your only free time. That's your time. And it's it's just... costing a fortune and you're not seeing the area you're going to. Or I mean, a holiday, the idea of a holiday is to travel to somewhere, not to sit in a bar, surely. Although exactly. I, I've done my fair share of that. But exactly. to see the area, to see the country, to taste the food. Absolutely. And you don't even remember what you ate, do you? In the old days, you, you had a meal. And you, that was it. It was just mm. you were there for the drinking, really. And then the after drinks and the pre-drinks and all the drinks. So, yeah, you're completely right. You go on holiday to experience things and see things and then you don't. You may as well be in your local pub and that's it. You can't tell somebody who's about to give up alcohol, oh, you'll love holiday. Holidays are great without alcohol. They have to learn it mm. and you have to just plug away at it, don't you? And to begin with I couldn't go to the supermarket I couldn't go down the wine aisle without thinking about it I couldn't go for I couldn't imagine a night away and then I did a night away and then it was right I can't imagine a weekend away and then I did a weekend away and you build up to it you wouldn't change it's a lifetime of habit because I was a drinker for 20 odd years yeah yeah so that's two decades of my body brain and society and my lifestyle all being revolved around this one thing and it's scary. It's a scary thought, isn't it, to change? I think if you stick with it, this is why we all bang on about it to people, because you can't help it. Because you're thinking this is not what I was expecting at all. And you can only see it when you when you do it yourself. I mean, I can't believe that the human body is supposed to feel this way. Yeah. You, you just think, I dulled that for so long. And now I get to feel like this. And you can't describe it, can you? But you sort of feel sort of euphoric sense of well-being. But you also become more interested in your own well-being, don't you? Everyone gets into this sort of wellness thing. But you do, you suddenly realise that your health is really important. And therefore it then spirals, doesn't it? Because you look into sleep and you look into exercise and fresh air and socialising and all the things that you never had time to do because... That should have been one of the things I mentioned, actually, time. You have so much time, don't you? Like, days seem so long all of a sudden. They do. So you have time to invest in yourself. And in turn, you're better with everybody else. And you're better at work. And you're a better parent. I'm preaching to the converter with you. But anyone who listens to this, they've got to see enough of us to believe that there's something in this. Do you know what? If it is a midlife crisis, I'm perfectly happy with that. Bring it on. Absolutely. Of all the midlife crises to have... I think quitting drinking is one of the best. So that's point one then. What is your second point, a plus point of sobriety? So, yes, definitely 
an interest in my own health. And when I say health, I also mean mental health. This word at the minute that comes out, which is wellness. Oh gosh, I would have rolled my eyes at anything to do with wellness. I'd have thought, oh, in the past. Whereas now, I really can't hold it in real high esteem. I've become really interested. Once I've moved on from all the quitlet, I started reading about sleep. And I got really into, there's a book called Why We Sleep. It's very intense and scientific. But actually, I got into that and I thought, oh. And then I started to think about all the reasons why the alcohol stops you sleep. And, you know, it's actually scary when you read it. It's actually terrifying. And then I got into sleep and understanding sleep cycles. Then I started, someone persuaded me into this gong bath thing. But I, I thought it was ridiculous that you go and lie in a room and a woman bangs a gong for now. And I thought, she's having a laugh. She's charging you for this. This is crazy. But but in with my mentality of my year off, where I said I was going to do everything once, um, I went to my gong bath. And whatever you get out of these things, I thought, well, I've had an hour of my own time with people I like lying there. And I switched off. My brain was quiet for an hour, which is so, like you said earlier, very active brain, constantly darting around. And that in itself, I thought, well, it doesn't matter if it's a gong or whatever it is. I had an hour of mental peace and it was instead of my evening drinking, it was my mm. evening at the gong bath. So ever since then, I've got really into trying all of these things. You'll have seen on my Instagram, but I went to the Be Sober camping trip a few months ago. And you're basically in the field in tents with a load of other people you've not met, largely not met. And you're doing these activities and there were two things that I signed up for. One was, it was called forest bathing. I made a complete fool of myself because I assumed you would be swimming. <laughs> I didn't realise you are literally bathing in the forest. So I, it was all very zen. And I, I again, thought it's going to be tree hugging and this is ridiculous, but go along with it. And one of the things that the lady said was just sit at this bottom of this tree. You didn't hug a tree. Sit at the bottom of this tree and just listen to the sounds. And there were lots of sounds. And then there was this particular moment where this group of kids came along because it was like a scout venue as well. And they started being really noisy. And my initial reaction was, for God's sake, you're ruining my peace. Like, keep, you know, keep quiet. And then the lady said, just notice it as another sound. So you've got the birds, you've got the trees, you've got the kids. And then... She said, it won't bother you when you just notice it as another sound. And I thought, that's sort of, I could do that in my daily life. She taught us, don't let things get to you. Just notice something and then let it pass on. Imagine there's a door in the back of your head and a thought comes in and then let it out. And I thought, do you know, every time I go on these things that I think won't help me at all, I take something away from it. Mm. And tree hugging, whatever, whatever. But that, I thought, yeah, actually, that was good. And then we did a sharing circle where everyone ended up in tears and we were doing this tapping thing. And all this stuff, I've realised I now take something away and it's something that will lead to my ultimate wellness or well-being or health because I look for what I can get out of something. I'm not as scathing anymore. Yeah. And I try to think, how is this going to help me? And so when I talk about the sort of health and well-being being a benefit, it's just me learning to take things from different situations that will help me. 
that will help me to understand myself or understand the situation I'm in or deal with it better. And that goes alongside with the traditional health, which has been being in the gym, getting fit. I've started eating better and I've started learning about what to put into the body and what to not put into the body. And all of that has come from this new sort of focus on well-being. And you're surrounded by it because everyone's trying to find something, aren't they? They're trying to find something else. There's got to be a benefit. If I'm going to give up something I supposedly love so much, I've got to get a benefit. So they look for it elsewhere. And for me, it's a lot of the people I'm friends with now. It's about health and well-being. And so then you double up on that, don't you? You take out something bad and then you start pursuing good things. And it's like a double whammy. So that's what I mean by health and well-being. It's everything from mental fitness and it's not but the boring kind of becoming obsessive with exercise or anything like that it's the whole package everything um so yeah that's what I mean by that one I'm sure you feel the same but it's just generally doing stuff that's good for you you get this absolutely even like you say the sleep oh I'm just I say this a lot on this podcast it appears but I have a two-year-old that doesn't sleep and sleep is precious to me and to yes. think that I was in any way risking that with alcohol. Now I just I just want sleep. So going to bed at 9.30 is a delight. It's an absolute delight. And before anybody rolls their eyes and thinks, oh, God, that's boring. You know, why not when I'm getting up at 5 a.m.? I get my extra three hours or whatever at the start of the day. I don't need to stay up till midnight anymore drinking wine. Exactly. And, what and a waste that- of time. That's the good thing about sober friends because when I go out with them now, there's no expectation to stay later than half nine. You know, a sober event starts early and ends early. Yeah. And if you say, I'm tired, everyone goes, Yeah, you go and get a good night's sleep. Too. It's not like, yeah, it's not like the old days where everyone's like, I'll just stay and have one more shot. It's like this total appreciation that you need your sleep. And last night we were staying, we went to the gorge scrambling. And then we stayed in a wooden lodge with like a hot tub. So we went to the gorge gambling. We came back. We got in the hot tub about five. Had a nice chat. Actually, most people listening to this will already be interested in being sober. So they won't just think. We had a herbal tea in the hot tub and a chat. We then cooked our dinner. We had another chat in our pyjamas with another cup of tea. And then by sort of half nine, we all went to bed and we all got up this morning and went for a walk around the lakes in the Lake District. That sounds Um, perfect. It sounds absolutely delightful. And I drove home. It was a three hour drive. Do you remember the days of traveling hungover? And I think, oh, you know, trying to get home from a Hindu or something and you've got to sit on a train and you're sort of that heavy breathing and you're stuffing your face with whatever carbs and bad, not that carbs are bad, I don't think carbs are bad, um, but, you know, McDonald's or a baguette or something to try to stop yourself being sick. And the journey is just horrific. Or there's times when you couldn't even get home. I once had to get, um, I was in Budapest. I had to get a hotel for another night because I physically couldn't travel home. And, you know, you just think, now I'm sort of happily trundling down the motorway thinking of all the nice things I've done and the walk I had it. We were all up at seven, naturally. This One of the ladies was doing a workout in her bedroom because <laughs> she wanted to get up and do her workout. So she did her workout and then we went for a walk. And yeah, the sleep. We all went to bed, we all got up and we felt amazing. I'm coming next time because it means I get sleep. 
you would be absolutely more than welcome. Oh, I'd love it. To come on our bus supply. Join us. It's You're like... far more progressive up north. You know, I'm I'm Herefordshire, so I'm sort of midway. I'm well, I think I'm south, aren't I? I think you class me as south. You're definitely you're definitely southern. You're, yeah, you're southern. southern and posh. You sound it. <laughs> um, do you have a group down there? Do you have I don't a... think we do. Maybe I should start one. How do you start one? Oh, you need to contact our uh, founder, Hannah. Oh, there she, you go. Uh, we have ambassadors now in different cities that are sort of, they start it. And it's hard. Apparently, in the early days, you put your, your meetup on and you can be the only person there. And then it Turn just, up on my own. It just grows. The more people see you having fun and enjoying yourself, you think they'd start to join. That's been invaluable to me. So, But you're always welcome. Always. Oh, I will. Do you know what? I am actually going to do a road trip at some point. I'm actually doing a road trip to Belgium to meet somebody that I've met on Sober Instagram. <laughs> So I think I can probably manage to come up north. That's amazing. You know, I think these things, I've signed up for this. It's a holiday on the 11th of October. I can't believe I've done this. I've signed up for five days in Spain with 12 strangers. Um, I think that's brilliant. You're braver in sobriety. I'm scared. I'm genuinely scared. But you know what it's like, these things? There's always so many activities. It's sort of windsurfing and hiking and tapas making and all this. So I just thought, sod it. I'm going to carry on with my theme of throwing myself at this. So I'm off to Spain in October. So I think it's brilliant. Your attitude to just like, look, it's a challenge. It's something I'm going to do. And I'm just going to throw myself into it is amazing. You're not removing anything from your life. You're replacing it with even better things. Yeah. And everything is better. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, it's throw myself at it. Just if I have to burn myself out, I'll burn myself out. But I'm going to throw myself at, you know, when I see these trips, I'm booking them. Uh, I mean, I'm skinned now. I've never been so poor as since I gave up drinking because I sign up for everything, everything. So at some point that's going to have to stop. But for now, I'm off to Spain. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to the photos. So that was the health and well-being. Yeah. What's your third point of sobriety? So it's one that I never really think about, but it's huge. And it's this calm. So I have a sense of calm that makes me feel like I could deal with any situation. And it's only recently that I put my finger. I could have listed a million, but the, the calmness is something that I think is invaluable. And it, it, almost makes you unflappable and it means that when things go wrong or you know life throws something at you that you're not expecting you can deal with it in a way that you couldn't before because like it's like this super thing but at work I feel calmer they might say differently but I feel calm so I go into board meetings now and I feel this sense of calm I think anything that goes wrong I can deal with it I feel with my family life, I can deal with it. I feel if I broke down on the motorway, I can deal with it. I feel that if someone else had a crisis, I can step in. And whether I can help them or not, I believe I can. And it's such a nice feeling. There's no chaos anymore. Mm. I used to thrive on chaos. I thrived on chaos. And there are moments when I think, oh, I'd love to go and mess all this up because it's just in my nature. Why? This is all too calm. I need to do something stupid, which is where I now throw myself at gorge scrambling and booking holidays with strangers i've never seen anyone mention it it's not one of the things that's listed regularly on this sort of insta accounts or anything like that there's always this huge list but calm 
is something that I now find invaluable. Um, mm. And I recognise it and I can see it in my demeanour. Even coming on this podcast, I've never done a podcast before. And in this, the old days, like a, you know, like a sense of sort of panic or a sense of, you know, social situations where you think, I'm just going to pull out of this. Mm. Um, don't get that anymore. I don't get it. I think, come on, you can do this and you can do it in a, in a calm manner. So, yeah, it's an odd one, but it's what came to my mind when you asked me what my three things were. And that's the one that I find the most settling. And yeah. it gives me this sense of smug, which is an awful word. It's an awful word. But I think if I've been through this to get to this point, I deserve this sense of calm. It's like an inner peace that I didn't have before. It's amazing. And to get to that, I watch um, Diary of a CEO a lot. And Davina McCall was on there. And she said something very similar a few weeks ago. And she said, I've just, she used peace as the word, not calm. But she said, I never thought I would get to this place of complete peace and ease, whatever you want, however you want to put it. But I think when you get to that point, you think, that's it. I don't need to do anymore because I'm at peace with everything I've done in the past, all the stupid things I've done when I was drunk. And I'm now, it's a different phase of life and I'm good with it. That's how I would summarise it. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%, a peace. And I call it inner peace and a calmness. I would 100% agree with you. In fact, we nearly did break down in the motorhome on the way to holiday on like an A road, no pull in really busy on a hill blind bend and I looked at Dale and he looked at me and then it came back it did come back thank goodness but I actually just thought to myself oh well okay well we're with the RAC we can do this it'll be what it is they'll have to go round there'll be a big queue and maybe we can stick something in the road and it was a like an electrical fault or something and it hasn't happened since touch wood but it came back and then because we were on the first day of a road trip like oh. a proper traveling holiday. So yeah, it would have been a bit of a bummer, but I just felt calm. I was just, and so did he. He would normally have flapped and sworn and, you know. It's the whole, oh, I can't be doing with this. Can't be doing this. Can't handle this. Yeah. That mentality. Yeah, that your situation just describes exactly what I'm saying. It's, it's whatever it is, however small or big the problem is, you think I can do this. And you know you can drive. You know you can drive if somebody had a problem. Oh, that's Not only are you calm, but you're able to get there. Oh, it's invaluable, isn't it? The driving thing is huge, isn't it? Because, you know, there's times when you think it's not just the sort of being able to get somewhere, but it's um, it opens your world. You think, well, I can go out for a meal tonight and I don't have to stick with somewhere within a sort of taxi radius or whatever. Just loads of situations you know situations where for example one of my children has gone to stay at a sleepover at someone's house and about 11 12 o'clock at night they've decided to cry and they want to come home I've had that in both situations in my drinking days and in my now days now I just get in the car and calmly I mean it's annoying because I don't get my nine o'clock sleep but you know I calmly get there and I pick them up in the old days you would have said I'm sorry I can't like my child Mm. and you just think the difference in and the end of a night when you go out now and you get into your car and you drive home and you put your pajamas on and I have my chocolate hobnob and my decaf tea and I think wow (laughs) this is is the dream I've been out and I've come home I'm safe and I've driven and my you know my car 
is in my drive. The number of days, nights that I would go out after work and in the morning I would go to work and I would open the front door and I would look at my empty drive and I'd think, where the hell is my car? Where did I leave it? Because I always went out with the full intention of having one and driving home. And then luckily I was sensible enough that when I had the second, I'm not going to drive. But I would then have to remember where my car was and then get a taxi hung over to get to my car, which always had a ticket on it, always had a ticket on it, and then get to wherever I needed to be. And I just think the thought my car is always in my drive. And it's to someone who doesn't drink, that sounds like why wouldn't it be? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was just a massive, the driving thing is huge. Yeah. The, the phrase that you used, you feel a bit smug and you've earned it. And yeah, we have. And yeah. that feeling when you get into bed at night, and this is a perfect way to end our chat, but the smug feeling of just getting into bed with your cup of tea and your chocolate hobnob in your pyjamas and you're all warm and toasty. You just can't beat it. You cannot beat it. You cannot beat it. And that's exactly the point. And it is a great way to end it because that is the point, is that going back to that would take all that away. It would. It would. Yeah. Well, I I feel like I've met my hero today. I really do. Oh, you make me blush. It's like it's a podcast. I feel so chuffed that you've said that because I do think we're on a very similar wavelength, actually. And it's nice to have a chat with someone who understands everything, exactly everything you've said. So if, if I'm somebody's hero, then I'm pleased. Oh, well, you're definitely mine. You've been with me since day one. Well, I will remain here. So you can always reach out. You know that if you need anything. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I will. I'll come, I'll come up north. We'll have a big sober day out somewhere. And if you'd like to follow Lucy on Instagram, you'll find her handle in the show notes and you'll find lots of useful links, including links to the Sober Butterflies and the book from William Porter that we've literally waxed lyrical about. And just a reminder that this show is not designed to lighten the subject of alcohol use disorder, rather show the benefits of sobriety. And if you're struggling, please do get in touch with a healthcare professional who'll be able to support you. Until next time. Goodbye.